Hello there, everybody. Tom Whitcomb here, host of Show Some Respect. Tom Whitcomb is talking. Thank you to everyone who came out and saw a show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. That run is over. I had a fantastic time. Uh, but next up, Sydney Comedy Festival, May 18th, 20th, and 21st, I think. Something like that. The Thursday, the Saturday, the Sunday, um, somewhere in mid-May at the Factory Theatre. You can get tickets at the link in the bar in the uh, show description um, or at my Instagram, or just Google Tom Whitcomb Sydney Comedy Festival. You, you guys know the internet. You can work it out. Uh, good episode today. Just walking through a few things happened at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, enjoy the show. Welcome to yet another episode of Show Some Respect. Tom Whitcomb is talking. It is a pleasure to be here yet again. I'm back home. I'm home. I've left the city of Melbourne behind at long last. I am so glad to be done. It was a fantastic festival. Thank you to anyone who came out. Hey, if I have some new listeners tuning into the podcast for the first time after seeing me live at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, thank you for showing up. I hope you enjoyed the show. It was an absolute blast at times. And it, just a, a waking nightmare at other times. It was uh, it was good. You know what uh, doing that many gigs in such a short amount of time teaches you is that none of them matter at all because your highest moments will be... Uh, you, you'll come crashing back down to earth not long after your, your highest highs and your lowest lows can't last that long either. And, you know, it's just a great metaphor for the meaningless of life as a whole because it all crumbles to dust. Is this what you were looking for? For your Tuesday morning, was this the little daily dose of positivity? If you want some positive psychology, you go and listen to The Imperfects, okay? Go listen to Ryan Shelton come to terms with the fact that he is no Hamish Blake, and that's okay, apparently, but we all know it's not. (laughs) Does anyone... There's a podcast called The Imperfects, which is having a bit of a moment at the time. At the moment. It's uh, having a bit of a moment at the moment. It's run by uh, a guy called Hugh von Koilenberg, who apparently is Sri Lankan. Neither his face nor his name lend any credence to that, but that's what it, he says. I, I, I take his word for it. It'd be a weird thing to make up um, outside of the world of stand-up comedy. In stand-up comedy, if you could get away with calling yourself a Sri Lankan immigrant, even if you look like I do, I'd recommend it. Um, I mean, I think with all of those things now, you just say it and uh, there is not enough incentive for anyone to shut it down. This is why every comedian in Sydney is bisexual now, because even if they aren't, fucking prove it. I dare you. I dare you. Yes, I'm non-binary now. I'm not changing anything else about me, but you're going to have to change the way you address me. How, what are you going to do about it? You're going to you're going to you're going to cause a fuss. You're going to cause a fuss now that all of us are invited to Mardi Gras. You're going to make a big deal about this, even though we're all allies. Every single person in the human race fits into the LGBTQ plus community, due to the uh, very fortunate ambiguity about plus what that might mean. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see about that. Uh, anyway, Hugh von Koilenberg, famous Sri Lankan name, and uh, his brother, uh, whose name I don't know, Josh, that's it, Josh, uh, and Ryan Shelton, and they have on celebrities to talk about their vulnerabilities, and they have on uh, mental health therapists and experts, and they talk about how it's okay to be imperfect, and uh, every week they tune in, and for an hour they try and, um, they tr- they, they try and convince themselves that uh, mediocrity is just fine. <laughs> That's how I interpret this. I know I listen to it, and, and they're objectively right what they talk about. No level of achievement will ever make you happy, and you're and 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 even if you aren't perfect, just the way you are, 
uh, it would lend itself to happiness to truly believe that. And I'm sitting at home with headphones on. By the way, voluntarily listening to these things, going bullshit. You know, I don't. You, none of you believe this. There's no way that on the one hand you're going, hey, you don't need to achieve anything. There is no way they aren't just obsessing over podcast listenership every week the way that I do. Um, how could they possibly see the world differently to me? How could that possibly be? How could they be healthier than I am? Um, I am so glad, talking about obsessively checking things, that I don't have to check a ticket sale link ever again. And when I say ever again, I mean, oh, that, who am I fucking kidding? Sydney Comedy Festival starts in, in like a month. So I'm going to be checking it pretty soon. Um, the, so the Imperfects, they kind of, one of the big episodes <clears throat> that I think has become, I think what happens in podcasts, so there are these landmark episodes that people, a lot of people tune in for that one and it, 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 uh, it really kind of shoots them up a level. And it was um, Ryan Shelton, for those of you who don't know him, is, uh, he was a big part of that kind of Hamish and Andy crew. The, I think he was part of Rove's production company. Then Rove made all of, you know, Hamish and Andy's Gap here and all of that sort of stuff. And so Ryan Shelton was, he'd show up on the show from time to time and he would be uh, a, a producer and he would work on it in the background. And um, they had Hamish Blake on the podcast and they kind of... Ryan talks about how the jealousy that he had towards Hamish and, and how successful that Hamish and Andy were and um, how much he kind of struggled to... He couldn't really enjoy the success of Hamish Blake being like one of his best mates ever. He almost couldn't enjoy uh, Hamish's success because he was so envious of it because they were both trying to do the same stuff. And um, you would be, wouldn't you? I mean, see, I my biggest nightmare is any of my comedian friends making it bigger than me that what an absolute <laughs> what a horrific place to be i want i want, i wish all of the success in the world for all of my friends and when in the world i mean uh, all of the success just slightly below mine that's that would be ideal um friend of mine andrew hamilton who has been doing comedy for all of about of a year and put together an amazing Melbourne Comedy Festival show and got nominated for Best Newcomer and got to do the festival, uh, you know, f festival spots that I could not even dream of getting. Uh, and um, you know what, actually? Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to contradict myself. Every part of me, which is like, I should be hating this, just not by right, but by, uh, you know, by nature, it would, be, it would be very much in accordance with my values to be very, very bitter about this. And I wasn't. I was actually quite happy for him. Um, don't get me wrong. Some other people got nominated for Best Newcomer. I am furious. But Andrew Hamilton deserves it, if you ask me. One of the, one of the Best Newcomer nominees. The, uh, why am I even bothered talking in code? It's going to be very obvious, but I just don't think I should use their name. Ooh, who could it be? Um, one of the Best Newcomer nominees... We were out, I got invited to Andrew's, uh, to the Best Newcomer Awards uh, at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. So the way this works is at, at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, there are a series of awards that get handed out. Best Show, Director's Choice, Comedian's Choice, Best Newcomer, a few others. Um, and Andrew invited me along as his plus one uh, because, um, well, you know, when you're at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, there are certain things that they're looking for. And uh, despite the fact Andrew making no reference to being in a gay relationship in his show, um, you know, the, any, any, uh, any inference to the contrary could only do him a big favour when it came to awards time. Uh, so we rocked up hand in hand, um, you know, every, me every bit, the doting boyfriend that he would, uh, he that probably would have gotten him over the line if he'd, if he'd made, 
the show was about him going to prison. If it had, if he'd made it about him finding his sexuality in prison, I think he, he would be best newcomer right now. Um, instead, they gave it to to two dudes in a musical. Um, need I say more? Couple couple white guys who did a musical together. That's the cheat code. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, one of the best newcomer nominees, who I gig with in Sydney regularly and first met literally three years ago, uh, rocked up. And I was like, oh, hey, name. And they looked at me with the blankest expression I've ever seen. And they, they literally go, sorry, have we met before? I could have fucking slapped them. I was, you, you know when you just sit and just cop disrespect? And you have literally no recourse. We had friends around who just like laughed, like, you fucking serious? You know this guy. You've met him countless times. And they just uh, brushed it off like it was nothing. And it was not a joke, to be clear. If it was a joke, the commitment to the bit was Nathan Fielder levels. The commitment to the routine was up there with Sasha Baron Cohen. It, it it was real performance art shit if that's what they were doing. But I don't think it was. I think they were genuinely, the minute they got nominated for Best Newcomer, they just wiped me from their memory, put me into a box of things that can't help my career and just compressed them to one side. Uh, and uh, you know, I, 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 I now have two, I have two rivals. I have two rivals in, in, uh, in, in the world of Australian comedy. Um, and uh, I won't say either of their names. And uh, I would say you know who you are, but they don't know that either. They don't realize that they're living in my head rent-free. But I, I am furious. Every, I will almost exclusively evaluate the success of my comedy career relative to those two, um, who I have uh, very little respect for uh, in certain senses and some respect for in other senses. In, for one of them, uh, as a human being, I quite like them. Um, but as a comedian, zero respect. And the other one, just pure hatred. Very, very angry about the whole thing. Um, anyway, what else is that? It was funny going to the awards ceremony. It was very cool, i got to say. having the Getting the plus one from Andrew to go to the awards ceremony. Although I did arrive. And when you're at this, so it's invite only and then plus ones. And you could tell. The plus ones were very clear. When you looked around the room, like, you, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be here. And I count myself in that, by the way. It was filled with um, past award winners and uh, big names in comedy and industry representatives and managers and agents. And these people that I either have broadly, uh, either I recognize or I have met briefly in the past and none of them could even give two shits I was there. They were like, I think they were half expecting me to be handing out hors d'oeuvres. That's how, that's how I felt at the time. And, uh, and then from there, later on that day, I went to... Um, the, uh, I went, so I, I kind of went to two after parties. This was on the Saturday, the last Saturday of the festival. So it was sort of wrapping up. Some people had, had gigs on the Sunday night. I did not. Um, and, uh, I went to the awards night and then I went to the festival club, which is again, industry heavy, you know, like the, the people who, uh, you know, the people who, who, I don't even know how to say it. They're just more industry savvy. They're more industry accepted and, and involved. And I have none of that whatsoever. And then after that, I went to the Exford Hotel where one of the comedians had put on a, an after party for the festival with pizza and karaoke and beers. And it was like, there were still some industry people there, but as in like comedians who were involved, involved in the industry, but it was not an industry night by any means. Do you know what I mean? And it was so much fun. Watching 
like watching Luke Heggie, my absolute comedy icon, comedy hero. I am such a huge fan. Go up and 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 do karaoke to a YouTube channel in this uh, in this little pub in Melbourne. It was so great. It was so much fun. Uh, it was just very very. It was a very different vibe. It was great. And then um, <laughs> I was chatting to I was chatting to one comedian who he kind of books rooms. He's been around for a long time. We've met a handful of times over the course of the years, and I'm um, kind of getting him to know, know him better. I'm standing there myself, Andrew Hamilton, and this guy, uh, older comedian. Um, you know, been around for a while now and he's standing there and we're all drunk and he goes, uh, look, you two chaps seem nice enough, but uh, I don't think I know either of you well enough to chat. And I said to him, well, you know, we, we could work on that. And he goes, and I'm sure we will. And then walked away. <laughs> now I can cop that kind of disrespect. I don't mind that. That's pretty cool. Um, it was, it was a real thrill at the comedy festival. It was just, it was exciting being around around that many professional comedians, meeting new people, getting to know certain people. I, I kind of said to some people, I think a, a lot of these festivals, on top of whatever you're doing, just in the pure performance of it, uh, the stuff around that seems to be the really important stuff. And it's turning, you know, turning strangers into acquaintances, acquaintances into friends and friends into better friends. And, and I think there was a lot of that. And just little moments of recognition of, of how far I'd come in all of this. There was... so. There's a late night comedy show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival at the Exford Hotel and it's loose and it's fun and it's rowdy and it's hard to do well. You see a lot of very seasoned professional comedians do very average jobs just because that's how hard the room is. It's awesome and it's hosted by Chris Franklin. If you remember Chris Franklin, um, comedian, Aussie comedian has been around forever and he's the one who did the, uh, uh, the a parody song I'm a bloke, I'm a yobbo, and me best mate's name is Robbo. Winfield is me cigarette. I dress in flannelette. Do you know that song? It's a parody of uh, I'm a bitch, I'm a lover, I'm a chub. That it's it. I remember being, I must have been like nine years old, trying to download that song off Napster, and just thinking it was the greatest thing. I I love musical parodies. I owned Weird Al Yankovic albums. I loved it. I used to, when I was like, I think I was like 10, I remember, I would like create chain emails. This is true. I wish I could find these. I'm sure they're horrendous, but I would write, um, I would write parody lyrics. I remember writing a parody lyric to Grease Lightning and sending it to all my friends on, on Hotmail and getting them to share it around. Um, anyway, Chris Franklin wrote the song. He runs that gig at the Exford Hotel, and I think at the end of every gig, he sings it. And you can tell on the one hand, he must be so tired of singing that song because I think he does it every night and he, and he wrote it like, I'm guessing 30 years ago, maybe less, 20, 20, 25 years ago. But he does it because it's, a, it's like a touch point of Australian comedy history. And I remember just standing on the staircase, watching him, having been on the show that night, watching him sing that song, thinking, fuck, this was... I first heard this on the, you know, a very uh, primitive form of the internet 25 years ago, and now here I am doing a gig with this guy. So strange. Another moment was uh, Luke Heggie was very, very good to me when I was over in Melbourne. He would let me fly his audience on the way out. The idea being his audience and my audience probably have quite a bit of crossover. And I asked him, do you mind if I fly on the way out? He said, oh, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll shout you out on stage. And I posted it on my Instagram. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. It, it was so meaningful to me where he goes... 
He said, uh, there's a lot of comics here, you know, a lot of Sydney comics. Go check out my mate, Tom Whitcomb. First of all, me, his mate. Can you believe it? What a time to be alive. And then he goes, um, you know, if you balked at anything that I said tonight, fuck, don't see his show. Which was just, and I got a big laugh, and he said he'll be over at the, the corner handing out uh, flyers. I mean, Luke Heggie, probably the best comedian in Australia right now. Uh, my absolute favourite, 100%. I've, I've seen, I went and saw him at the Sydney Comedy Festival in 2018, I think. It was the first year that I'd been really doing comedy, and I'd seen him, I think I'd just seen some sets around the place or something, and I loved it. And I went, and I've been to every hour since, in Sydney and in Melbourne, um, and to kind of be mates with the bloke and then for him to say that, I, I was saying to some friends, I took a video of it and I put it on my Instagram. For, for me, if I could travel back in time to 2018 and show myself that video, I would not be able to believe it. It would blow my mind. Um, so stuff like that, really special, really, really exciting. Um, even just things like I went and saw the Comedy Ashes, which I think I talked about. I saw it in Adelaide as well, which is like a kind of Ashes-themed comedy competition where you, you, you set is uh, scored, depending on each punchline, gets a score from one, two, three, four, or six, depending on how big the, the score, um, audience re- response is. Um, I went to the last one in Melbourne. It's a very, very fun day. I, if, you, if you see it around, I would highly recommend. Um, Jim Owen and Dave Hughes were on the lineup, and I'm sitting in the back in like, the green room area with those two guys. It's just, it's very, it's been, it's been a, a real kind of like level up period, the Melbourne Comedy Festival. I had such a good time. And... Um, yeah, I, I, it was, uh, it, it was, it was definitely hard at times, and you do just obsessively check the, uh, you do just obsessively check ticketing numbers all the time, and the frustration of like just refreshing it and nothing changing. Like, but maybe if, I, but maybe now, maybe now someone's bought an, a, the last twenty-seven tickets for tonight. Um, in saying that, had some really great experiences. I think I've already talked about a lot of them. I got a sellout on the first weekend, which was cool. Um, would have loved to have gotten one more of those, but not to be, maybe next year. Um, had some, yeah, I, I mean, some extra interesting experiences. I mean, I had, uh, <laughs> on last Tuesday, I was very, very close to cancelling the show. I had two, I had two dudes rock up, um, one of them legally blind, the other one on a companion card, which I didn't realize was a thing. This is the thing where if you buy a ticket to a show um, and you ha- have a disability, you can bring someone to kind of assist you through, um, which was frustrating because, you know, there's $25 out of my pocket. I don't see why I'm suffering for this. But he, got, he comes along and they rock up and I'm like, uh, sorry, guys, I, I don't think the show's going to go ahead. We've only sold two tickets. Sorry about that. And they're, they're very nice. And we kind of chat for a little while and they walk away. I put my hand out to shake the blind guy's hand and uh, and and I have no idea in hindsight whether that was a very lovely thing to do or a fucking stupid thing to do. Because his friend had his, his friend just goes, handshake? It was almost like a command. Friend goes, handshake? And this guy just like instinctively shot his hand out. So obviously I'm not the first to have been in this position. But I was I was like, is that... Is, is, is treating him like someone who is totally visually abled, is that very uh, is that very kind and empathetic or is it the total opposite? I still don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do next time I meet a blind person. Probably just ignore them just to avoid the situation entirely. <laughs> um, anyway, so those guys start walking away and then thank God for me this guy uh, was visually impaired because it really meant it took a long time for them to get down the street. And uh, in that time, four guys make their way up towards me 
and they go, uh, or, and I hear one of them go, Bard's Apothecary, which is the name of my venue, Bard's Apothecary, which it says we're here. And I'm like, oh, fuck, they're here for me. I was like, you guys here for the comedy? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, right, okay, uh, wait here. And I like ran down the street to go and retrieve uh, the blind man and companion to bring them back. Six in the crowd. Had six of them in the crowd and fuck, it was great. It was such a good time because I had six straight white dudes in there. And what a relief that is because most of my, most of the stuff that I'm working on uh, when I do this show is genuinely offensive to anyone who is not straight white man. Uh, I don't know. I Look, I think only if you misunderstand the joke, to be fair, but there is something very, very calming about knowing that I can so I can I can make a joke about prostate cancer being the worst kind of cancer because it only affects men and no one in the room feeling at least even slightly persecuted by that. That's a relief. Uh, knowing that I've got, you know, five minutes on women's AFL in the back pocket going, everyone's going to love this. This is going to be good. Um, although, <laughs> for all I know, for the, you know, for all the blind guy knew, there was like just a bunch of very silent women in the room. He didn't know there was only six of them. I maybe should have made that really clear. <laughs> hey, I wonder if he's listening. Hey, if you're listening, let me know. Would love, would, would, uh, would love to, to, to be told. Um, what else? What else is there to talk about? I had, a, I had some friends come on the, I had some friends come on the Friday night, and that was uh, 30 people in the room. And that was, again, I, I, you might have been saying I was uh, doing crowd reviews. I was reviewing all of my audiences, which was very funny at the start. And I was very uh, flattered to have a lot of people come and say, oh, I, I'm loving the crowd reviews, which was nice. Uh, but by the end, so tedious. I was so sick of writing those things. I was totally out of anything to say. And um, so I, uh, I <laughs> um, on Friday night, you, you might already be aware of all of these stories. Friday night, I uh, had I was I was in the middle of the show. I was in the basically the way the show has worked up is it's split up into three sections that have kind of like uh, sort of endings to each of them. Um, if you come to the Sydney show, you you'll see what I mean. And I'm wrapping up the end of the first section, and the end of the first section ends with a uh, it ends with a, a joke about Greta Thunberg, which, if I'm honest, without the final punchline, is gratuitous at best. It it's it it's like it's. It, it's one of those weird jokes as a comedian where you're like, is this worthwhile? Because there has three punchlines and the two are middling, but the third one's pretty good. And I'm ramping up to the third one, trying to pay off the entire thing when I hear, and I'll, I might dro- I'll drop the audio in here so you can listen to it. But uh, basically, um, at, at, I, I hear a very, very concerned woman at the back of the room. He, you can hear it now. I would like to point out, Greta Thunberg is uh, 19 years old. Okay, Never okay to sexualise a child. Oh my gosh, are you okay? What's happened? Are you okay? I swear this is not part of the show. <laughs> Alright, we're going to take a slight break, I think. So what you, what you heard there was a grown man fainting at the back of the room. And I'm on stage like, what the fuck do I do? Everyone's panicking. Everybody is like, there's murmurs in the crowd. Like, what's Because it sounds like at the back, this is what I assumed. It, it sounded like an elderly woman has passed out and smacked her head on the concrete. Like, I'm half expecting pool of blood at the end. And I, I shit you not, I am honestly at the time sort of thinking, 
Do I have to give refunds for this? Because this is this is the most tickets that I had sold uh, in like a week, and the money wasn't the point, but it, it became more and more the point the more of it I was losing. I spent $600 on posters and I didn't see one of them. I had heard people say this exact experience and it was on it's on me to have not learned from it. I had friends saying I spent that much money on posters, I didn't see a single one the whole festival. And I was like, "Yeah, but you probably you probably chose like a shitty poster distribution company. I won't do it. Not like me who just picked the first one that came up in Google. You probably did something different. You probably Googled poster distribution Melbourne and just skipped to page 7. That might have been your issue." Oh my God, so stupid. Anyway, so when you're spending that much money and you spend $1,000 on Facebook ads and the ROI is significantly lower than $1,000, ROI is return on investment for those of you who don't, yeah, not, not business people. Um, so money was becoming increasingly a thing and I was like, ugh, I swear to God, if this guy has just had a bit of a fall and I have to give all these people their money back, I am going to be so shitty about it. Uh <laughs> Uh, who says I'm not empathetic? Who says I'm not caring? He was fine. And he was up and he was coherent. And he was just like, and I'm like, can you just, can you just leave please? And, but also whatever makes, he just seemed fine. No, no head gash. He was all right. And he literally sat against, propped up against the bar for the remainder of the show. Fortunately, it actually turned out all right. I I just got to remove 10 of the weaker minutes from the set, which was probably in everyone's best interest, really. Um, maybe I should ask more people to do that. Um, so that was an experience. That was a whole thing. Saturday night, I had a friend come along and, um, a guy from, a guy, a mate of mine from school who, uh, I, I kind of see on and off. I'm a big fan of him. Good guy. Uh, great value. And, um, he was bringing his partner who I'm pretty sure, like I knew, I knew he was gay, but he's never, uh, he's never, actually come out officially to me. I don't think he's ever said, I don't know, I'm trying to remember if he's ever said, if I just heard it secondhand that he had a boyfriend. One of those things where it's like, it, it, I would, I never really thought it. You know how you've got those some people from school where you're like, well, clearly they're gay and at some stage they'll learn it or at some stage they'll realise that all they want, um, depending on how Christian the remainder of their family is. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. There is this one guy from my school who's got a couple of kids and it's just like, is as gay as the day is long. I remember talking to a, a guy, actually, no, I heard this secondhand, a, a guy, uh, a, a very outwardly gay guy from my school who uh, <laughs> he was like, he was talking about this as well, how sad it was this guy hadn't come out of the closet and was instead in like a in a committed marriage because of his Christian parents. And uh, a friend of mine said to this guy, I was like, oh, but are you sure he's gay? Maybe he's just flamboyant. He's like, I'm pretty sure he's gay. He's like, but how do you know? He's like, well, I blew him in year 11. Like, ah, yes, okay. I, uh, I trust your judgment on that one. Um, anyway, that is not Dave. Dave was not in, in, in that situation. Dave is the, 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 uh, the, the friend of mine that came across and said, I think I can say his name. <laughs> I don't think he's out to everybody else. I don't think there's, uh, unless a member of his family happens to listen to the podcast, which would be very, I mean, you know, given the numbers, statistically so unlikely. Dave, um, Dave came and brought his boyfriend, but he never came out to me. So don't worry. I, I acted, I acted totally shocked. He's like, oh, this is my partner. And I'm like, oh, what? But, what? But, but Dave, this is a man. I don't, un- <gasps> you, I, oh, I didn't even know. I, you know, just out of respect, I, I, I feigned, uh, I, I feigned outrage. <laughs> um, but even I have some bits in my thing about like, there's, you know, there's some stuff about gay people. There's no F word. 
There was a time in a pre- in a preview of this show there was an F word, and I and I took it out, and I'm pretty proud of that. Pretty proud of myself for that one. Me being an ally and everything. There are a couple of jokes in this show where I'm like, I don't feel great about telling them, but they keep working. I have I needed I need to remove one of the two jokes about domestic violence. I think possibly both, but at least one. <laughs> I have all my friends from work coming in a couple of weeks, and I think I'm gonna they're getting an abridged version of the show. I'm, I'm unfortunately I won't tell you which night, so you don't know that you're getting that if you happen to be coming that night. But uh, I think there are a few things I'm gonna have to uh, leave on the cutting room floor for that one. Um, in in the interest of me having some gainful employment and not just losing money at comedy festivals for the next uh, next couple of months, um, but yeah, I'll, Dave, bring, I was like, I I had jokes about Mardi Gras, and I'm like, I think these, I think that, I think this is okay, I think it's fine, and they either seemed to enjoy it or were just very polite, and either way, that's a win in my books, um. What else is there to talk about? I think that might be it, guys. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm still very. I'm so tired. I'm so. I, I don't know how people do it for a full month and do all the spots and everything else and drink throughout it. I mean, I, I, I really stepped up the drinking for this one, and it was fun. I can see it. I can, I can understand. Because the more you drink, the easier it is to deal with hangovers. Because you just kind of drink through them anyway, and it does when things are down. Here's, here's the big takeaway from this episode: when you are emotionally struggling, drinking really helps. <laughs> uh, this episode brought to you by Johnny Walker, by the way. Uh, also, the Mardi Gras brought to you by Johnny Walker. Figure that one out. Um, I think that might be doing us for this week, guys. I hope. I, look, it was a, an excellent festival. I hope you enjoyed a, a brief recap of it. Sydney Comedy Festival coming up as well. Make sure you come out and see a show if you're in Sydney. We'd love to see you there. But hey, until next time. I hope you enjoyed the guest episodes as well with Alex and, uh, and Sam. That was a lot of fun. Want to do more of those. Had some good feedback on that. But hey, I'm going to leave you to it. Have a great week. And I will see you next week. I'll show some respect. Tom Whitcomb is talking.